0: Let's start with a, a word of prayer. So go ahead and bow our heads together, Tammy. Okay, let's please. pray together.
1: Um, kind and gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to yet again be here today and have the opportunity to delve into your word and to take a look at ourselves, Lord. Um, the long journey of life for many of us, uh, there have been questions and and we've wondered oftentimes, Lord, what are you doing um, to perfect us? And um, we are hoping that through this series of flight plan that um, you will help us to be able to see better your hand working in our lives. I pray for everyone who's here as well as myself, Lord, that um, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord. And I pray that you would just give us clarity and understanding and direction and uh, and bless the efforts today of... of um, exposing just just how much you love us, Lord. And we thank you so much. And we pray and ask all these things in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen.
0: All right. Um, on yesterday, I said that those who uh, perhaps didn't get one of those sheets, that I would have one for you. Printing here is a challenge. But here's what I'll do. If you would like another one, then at the end of our time together, you give me your email address and we will email those to you in a pdf format
1: sure sure yeah for sure um we'll pass around a a piece of paper and just write your email on there
0: um (laughs) let's let's get going from here does anyone have any questions about what we have talked about so far
1: last couple of days the
0: first um presentation was called departure and we talked about our beginnings prenatal um and in utero experiences that All of us go through along with the fact that we're born in a sinful world and we have parents who as good intention as they may be have also been born on a sinful world and uh, we experience things that are the results of sin Mm -hmm. here on planet earth so we dealt with that and we talked about um, how these things emphasize the importance of the new birth Mm -hmm. jesus says listen you need to be born again I understand all of the inner workings, and, and I know you better than you know yourself. I know your family, generations upon generations upon generations ago, and so we need to press, press the restart button so that you can have a fresh or a new start, a new birth. And then we talked about connections on yesterday. We talked about the importance of relationships, even relationships that are not ideal, and how God uses our relationships to sanctify us, to make us more like him. And, um, and today our presentation is entitled Destination. So any questions on anything we talked about thus far? No? All right, so let's, let's delve into um, our presentation for today then. Well, can you? Can you? Um, we want to show you all a video first, apparently. So if you could just.
2: Do <laughs> <laughs> you get it? It's an interrupting no. cow. He interrupts. That's what Come he does. On. He's a moo, that, right? That
1: is so dumb. It's a knock dumb, knock joke. Dumb. It's show. funny. Oh, she's... Oh. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures.
2: What are you doing? It's me. It's Jesus.
1: Lord, we take up our cross every day for you.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, but the cross is where it begins. Not ends. Thou art the beginning and the end, Lord Alpha and Omega. It's all about you, Jesus. Guys, I I just want you to be real with me. You are the air I breathe. You are the air I breathe. Drew, I think it's great when you worship me. Oh yes, praise you, Lord Jesus. It's just that sometimes it feels like you're putting on a show. Oh Jesus, please forgive me for putting on a show and being fake. uh... Okay, I, I forgive you. Oh, praise you okay. for your grace, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Guys, just say what you would normally say.
1: Praise the
2: No, I mean, like, you know, if, if we were talking, you know, say what you'd say. Okay. Um, Drew, tell us a joke. What? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you were before. Thou art holy, Lord. That's not a joke. Oh, no. No, I I didn't mean that. What are you guys doing?
1: Jesus, we're living for you just like we always do.
2: Don't live for me. Live in me. When you live in me, you'll understand who you are and what you're living for. I just want something a little bit deeper. But if this is all you want...
1: quick little uh, video, and how many of you, I'll be honest with you, I can, at some point in my life, identify with that. What about you? Yes. Um, The idea that um, our relationship with God is limited to not being personable, not being real, not being honest, not being authentic. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that is... um... Um, one, of, one of the challenges in church settings, my wife is going to read something to you a little bit later on in the presentation. Um, people in churches tend not to be real or authentic. And, uh, you know, I'll share a, a story as well. But what we want to do today is we want to talk about where God wants us to be in terms of our relationships, where God um, would ideally have us to be. So everything we've talked about has kind of been building up to to this and um, all of the things we've shared are important aspects of where God wants us to be. But um, we wanna focus first on authenticity with ourselves and with God because um, It's our belief that understanding the battle can help us to win the war. Mm -hmm. Understanding the battle can help us to win the war. Now, somebody asked how. How can understanding the battle help me to win the war? Um, The first way that we believe that this is instrumental in helping us to get where God would have us to be is um, God changes the way that we seek he changes the way we see.
1: So um, I wanted to share with you a little bit of a story Um, So about a few actually we found out last year that our oldest son needed glasses you know and so we were like you know what we need to get on top of this we need to take him and so I was like I'm gonna take him so I took him to the eye doctor and um, we were getting an exam and the doctor said hey why don't you get an exam too you know because he saw our insurance he said you know Have you ever had your eyes checked i'm like no you know why not i see perfectly fine you know he was like what's worth it you know just to make sure i'm like okay why not never had it done so i'll do it so um went back into this little room and you can click for me and while we were back there um it was interesting because um as my son was going through this thing you sit behind this machine any of you who have glasses you know right you can click again for me this little thing, it's like weird. This, it was like amazing. I was sitting and looking and I was like, how is this gonna help him discover, you know? But of course, this is someone who has no clue about being an eye doctor. So he said, you come on and you sit behind, you know, the little thingy. And so I did, and the minute that I sat behind there and he started flipping those little lenses, it was it was amazing because all of a sudden it was like things cleared up. And it was funny because I never knew I had an eye problem. <laughs> And he said, okay, what about this? So he tried several different lenses, and I remember actually even feeling pressure relief somewhere in my head. I don't know if you've felt that before. I felt pressure relief, and I was like, wow. He was like, yeah, you know, you've needed glasses for a long time. I was like, but I can see perfectly fine. He was like, how do you see at night? I was like, well, things are a little blurry, but isn't it for everybody, right? He was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and so when it was all said and done, you can click it for me again. I ended up having, being for the first time, wearing glasses, Um, and it was strange because I thought that I was okay. I felt, first of all, that um, the way that I I saw, I was seeing like that for years, literally for years, never thought that I had a problem. And then I got accustomed to it, you know, when I did see a little bit of change and blur come about as I got older, I never thought that it was an issue, you know, you just kind of work around it. You ever had that happen to you? Something happens, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to deal with it, right? And then um, after the doctor exam, he gave me a new prescription. Um, but the funny thing about it is that day when he asked me if I wanted to take the exam, I could have said no. And I, and I would have been seeing, which is wow, you know, I would have been seeing like this. You all would have been blurry, but you all look kind of normal to me, you know, at that point until I got my glasses and I'm like, wow, I can see much better, mm. you know?
0: Now, if you can take the, the principle of what Tamara what experienced in terms of physically, seeing people. Imagine if in all of your relationships you, you have seen things mm. a certain way for the majority of your life. And to you it's going to look what? It's going to seem normal, right? But uh, hopefully some of the things that we've been sharing and what we'll share today will be like getting an eye exam that will help you by the grace of God to be able to see things differently. So the first step in the process is that God wants to change the way we see, no matter how normal the way we see things uh, appears to be. Um, uh, By the way, normal isn't always good. I hope you know that, right? And uh, it, it, it takes relationships to reveal that, doesn't it? You're used to doing things a certain way in the home you grew up in. You know, uh, maybe your mom took and cut all the crust off of your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever the case may be, or you ate white bread or you ate whatever, whatever you, you did. And to you, that's normal until you encounter someone mm. who does things different. And they say, man, that's weird. Why are you cutting the crust off of your peanut butter? Everybody in my family eats it like this, right? So it's our relationships that tends to expose mm. how our normal is not necessarily Normal, or it's not necessarily good. The second thing that, um, that God wants to do, other than changing the way we see, and by the way, he does this again through relationships. He changes the way we see through relationships. And um, the second thing that he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to change something else. All of us are created to be interpreters. Created to be what? Interpreters. interpreters. Now, um, what that means is that you can have an experience in life, and that experience, um, it it can be interpreted in a variety of ways, right? Just like if a police officer comes up and there's been an accident, and the police officer is um, canvassing everyone who was there, he's probably gonna get several different versions of the story, right? Because everyone interpreted what they saw according to their perspective, according to their this, that, and the other. So God has created us to be interpreters. That is to take information and interpret the information. Now, if you just consider that, that's a profound thought. Have you ever heard somebody say, I just want the facts? I'm I'm just, what I'm talking about, these are just facts. They're never just facts. They're always my interpretation of what happened, my interpretation of what reality is. So if all of us were created to be interpreters, if we are going to see things rightly, and seeing things rightly means to see things as God sees them, it means that God must change the way that we interpret the experiences in our lives, change the way that we interpret the things that we see people do to us, so forth and so on we talked yesterday about some of our core fears just to give you an example uh, on this concept of how powerful um interpretation is if i have a core fear then everything that happens to me now becomes interpreted based on that fear i shared with you all on yesterday an experience i had when i was about five or six years old and um because of that experience It changed the way I interpreted all the rest of my encounters with women during my adolescent years or teenage girls and other adolescents that were my age. So I was interpreting things based on an experience, and that's only one experience that I had. So my interpretation is based on that fear, it was based on fear and not on reality. When we come to Christ, our lives don't all of a sudden become free of trials and temptations. But God removes the glasses, which we see life through, and now he gives us a new way to interpret those things. The Bible now corrects my vision, and not only the way I see things, but the way I hear things. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 42. Can you read that for us, please, Tamara? Yes. Genesis chapter 42, we're going to go back to that story of Joseph, which I think is Profound, Genesis chapter forty-two. So God first wants to change the way we see. How specifically He wants to change our interpretation of reality. Genesis chapter forty-two, verses six through
1: nine. Okay, and it says, and Joseph was the governor over the land, and it was, and it was he, and he is. Okay, I'm sorry. And Joseph was the governor over the land.
0: You got some glasses. Are you still reading that? Many Have mercy. Okay. okay. Anyway, go ahead.
1: And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That sold to all the people of the land. Those are my English skills covered up. I'm like, this doesn't sound right. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dream which he dreamed of them, and said to them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come.
0: All right, so here. Now, you've you got to get this. Joseph is about, forgive me, I know my calculations. are. Oh, Joseph is about 37 years old mm. at this point in time. So, about 20 years have passed since he's last seen his brother. And notice what happens here. The Bible says that his brothers bow down and he knows them. Mm. Now, it's almost as though Scripture is telling us that Joseph hasn't really been thinking about those dreams that he had you remember about the bales of hay and the sun moon and stars and everything bowing down to him the bible almost seems to suggest that he hasn't been thinking about those things until he sees his brothers bowing down to him and then in verse 9 it says and joseph did what he remembered the dreams which he dreamed at this point at 37 years of age how old again
3: 37.
0: At 37 years of age, Joseph understands everything in his life differently than he had at any other point in his life. What are we saying? Joseph puts on a new pair of lenses right here in Genesis chapter 42. The way Joseph Mm -hmm. interprets all of the things in his life changes right here in Genesis chapter 42. And it's it's powerful. Now Joseph, it's because of what takes place here in Genesis 42 that what we read yesterday when Joseph spoke with his brothers and he said, do not be angry at yourselves. Do not be grieved with yourselves. It was not you that brought me here, but it was God. Joseph could never get to that point if he did not first experience this. That's, this is like all the puzzle pieces in your life coming together. This is where God changes, again, as we suggest, the way you see things and the way you interpret the realities of what, have take, what has taken place in your life. So God wants to change the way we see, and he wants to change our interpretation of the experiences in our lives. Let me give you another, another example. Have you ever, um, you ever walked into a room and some people start laughing?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And what goes through your mind? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. The way we interpret that laughter is they must be laughing at me. There must have been something that I've done, right? That's how deep our need of a transformed mm-hmm. interpretation process is, and only God can give us this. By the way, we, we said that this is a, um, a lifelong process because what we're talking about is sanctification, mm-hmm. and we suggested it's the work of a lifetime, mm-hmm. right? Now remember, how old did I tell you Joseph was? Can you imagine? He's had all these dreams and Mm. all of these experiences in his life, but he doesn't really understand their benefit. Like the quote we read yesterday, he doesn't understand the fruitful nature of his experiences or the necessity of his experiences until he's almost 40 years old. Mm. So you may be here today like, oh, yeah. I want this interpretation shift. I want my my glasses, and I'm going to get them tomorrow. I'm not telling you it's going to happen tomorrow. Doesn't always happen like that, right? It's not something that happens instantaneously, because this is the, the work of a lifetime. There are some things that God could tell you today that you and I just simply would not be able to handle. So he walks with us step by step along the way. And when we are ready, he reveals things to us. Go ahead.
1: And the interesting thing about that is any of us who know about having glasses, they say every year you should go, right, and get an eye exam. Why is that important? Because your eyes might change, change, right? Mm -hmm. This may not work for me next year, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to be ready and prepared that these glasses are good right now, but they may not be good for you. You may need some new glasses pretty soon.
0: Mm. So uh, number one, God Wants to change the way we see. How does he want to change the way we see? He wants to shift our interpretation of reality or the way we interpret the things that happen to us, our experiences, so forth and so on. And now we want to focus on um, the primary interpretation shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going, to give you, I'm going to tell you guys something right now. <laughs> this is going to be the best thing you have ever heard in your entire life. I promise you. I promise you. you, you've never heard anything as good as this. Any relationship challenges you have, all relationship challenges you have, you are ninety nine point nine percent of the problem. <laughs> come on, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna say it again. Any re- he's like, no, that don't no, sound like no. good news me. <laughs> Any relationship challenges you have, ninety nine point nine percent of the problem is you. Right? Now, we're going to explain this, but just consider what we, what we just talked about in terms of our interpretation of things and experiences shifting and the way we see things being shifted. Um, so if you just consider those things, you'll have an inkling, but I'm going to make a believer out of you yet.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Special testimonies, August 26, 1897, paragraph nine. Your mother is your greatest enemy. No, that's not what she says. Your boyfriend is your, your girlfriend, your, your, your husband, boss. your wife, <laughs> your, your, your parents, your... No, 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 no. Self... Mm-hmm. Say that with me. Self. Self is our greatest enemy. And day by day, each must strive for the victory. This is another one. And um, this is in several places, it might even be in Desire of Ages, but this reference is HS 138.1. Each
1: one will have a close struggle to overcome sin in his own heart. This is at times a very painful and discouraging work because, as we see, the deformities in our character, we keep looking at them. When we should look at Jesus and put on the robe of righteousness, everyone who enters the pearly gates of the city, and this is powerful, of God will enter there as a conqueror. And his greatest conquest will be what? Over, over self. self.
0: Man, now, now, did you get that? His greatest conquest will be over the papacy. <laughs> His greatest conquest will be over his wife's challenges. Greatest conquest will be over the hard-headedness of his or her children. Mm. Greatest conquest will be learning how to deal with these folks in the church. No, the greatest conquest will be over? Self. Over self. So this is why I gave you that life-altering radical statement that 99.9% of the problem in our relationships is us, itself, all right? Now, uh, let, me, let, me, let me read to you from uh, a book. This is, um, and I'm going to share with you by the grace of God, how this thing plays out. You ready? <clears throat> because when Jesus comes into your life, You know, Jesus wages war against you.
3: Mm.
0: Now we often talk about the great controversy and we talk about the warfare between Christ and Satan. And we talk about what the devil is doing. But you know, a lot of the boneheaded stuff we do don't have anything to do with the devil, right? (laughs) Oh, give me victory over the devil. And the Lord is like, no, I need to give you victory over you. (laughs) Devil didn't have, he didn't even suggest that. That was all you. Okay, listen to this. Um, Our desire to set up our own kingdom, did you know that? Every one of us has our own little kingdom. Our desire to set up our own kingdom is in direct conflict with the king who has come to rule in our hearts. This is the war beneath all others. All right? Think about it this way. If my heart is ruled by a certain desire— there are only two ways that I can respond to you. If you are helping me get what I want, I will be happy with you. But if you stand in my way, I will be angry, frustrated, and discouraged when I'm with you. Listen, there will be times when I will wish that you were not in my life. Anybody ever felt that way about your parents? I remember. This is my mom right here. I remember um, it was a—I was in the eighth grade and there was this party. And My girlfriend was at the party and everybody in my class was there at the party. Ooh, I wanted to, I, I, man I had my little clothes set out. You know, I, I was just ready. Man, they shut that thing down so quick. <laughs> Who's—whose house? What? No. I went upstairs, man, and I wept. I cried. I was like, man, I can't. 8th grade, what are you, like 12, 13, or something like that? I was like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. How dare they? I was so angry with them. You know, if God would have allowed me to have my way at that particular point in time, I would have blotted them out of existence just so I could go to a party. But what was happening here? The kingdom of Stephen was being challenged. They were not agreeing, going along with what King Stephen desired and with what with what King Stephen wanted. And as a result, I was frustrated and I was angry with him. Yes, I mean,
1: and it's interesting too when you think about marriage, um, because the two becoming one, it is a friction, right? It is something that is grinding and it, it doesn't always feel good. Um, but most people walk away from marriages because of that very thing, because I cannot have control, because I cannot have my way. And the finger is always either going that direction, and never going like this. Mm hmm,
0: mm hmm. Now, in, in in a situation where someone is keeping me from getting what I want. My problem is not that individual or the situation that we're in together. My problem is, listen friends, that a legitimate desire has taken over my heart and is now in control. Now, I want you to focus on that. We're not talking about illegitimate desires. We're not talking about, oh, I wanna go out partying, I wanna go get high, I wanna go get stoned. No, 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 no. For the Christian who is waiting for the return of Christ It is not the battle with illegitimate desires that will be the most fierce. It is the battle with legitimate desires. That means things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but God says, no, that's not good for you right now. Mm. But there's nothing wrong with this. This is not sin for me to do this. But the fact of the matter is, God says, are you going to rule your life Mm. or am I going to rule your life? So my problem is not... The individual or the situation we're in, my problem is a legitimate desire has taken over my heart and is now in control. This desire has so much power that it is no longer legitimate. Ooh, Lord have mercy. It has become an inordinate sinful desire because it has grown to a position of authority over my life. This authority belongs to God alone. So here's why we said earlier that there's a warfare when Jesus comes into our experiences. He wages warfare against the kingdom of our hearts, which we've been ruling all of our lives. And according to us, we've been doing a pretty good job at it. But according to Jesus, we have not And so Jesus comes and he, he begins to challenge our authority to rule in our own lives. Now, he does not always, because our presentations are in the context of relationships, he does not always outright come and speak to you, this is God, this is what you should do, because we would, some of us would like that, but what I don't like is when God uses her. When she comes and says, this is probably not a good idea, did I ask you that? Who do you think you are? You're not going to control me, right? Right? And this is about me having kingship in my life. And I'm failing to recognize that God speaks to me through people. He speaks to us through people. It may be your parents. It may be some other authority in your life. It can even be your children, Lord have mercy. And I'm like, you sit your little self down right now. Like, Daddy, I'm tired, Daddy. Aren't we going to have worship? I'm like, oh, man, go to bed right now. But we need to pray. Who's going to have rulership in your life? Is it wrong to be tired? No. Wrong to want to get to bed? No. But who's in control? Who's in control? So this warfare that is going on in each and every one of our lives, it it is an extremely powerful warfare and it is fought out every single day in each one of our lives okay i think i forgot one more thing
1: i would just add to that too that you know there's oftentimes the experience that you have well, maybe you are the only one in your family right or maybe you've decided to live for the lord or or do what you're doing and you still have parents maybe who haven't made that decision I, i've been through that before where Um, It just so happened that I was the one in my family to decide to follow the Lord. And that kind of puts you in the frame of mind sometimes that you think that now you don't have to listen to your parents, right? Maybe you don't have to listen to your grandparents or those who are over you. And the Lord quickly rebuked me, you know, one day and let me know that just because they may not be where you think they should be, you still need to honor your parents, you know? So even in that, you can make yourself and authority and create your own kingdom and begin to look down on other people and that's not right either.
0: Yesterday I shared with you all how one of my, um, one of the things that I crave is physical touch and I told you that my wife isn't quite built like that. Now, my desire uh, for the tender attention of my wife is not wrong, is it? No. But it is wrong for me to be so ruled by that desire that my days are filled with bitterness because of its absence, and my nights are filled with manipulative attempts in order to get it. So when our desire for that which is good takes rulership in our hearts, then we are brought into conflict with the one who is supposed to be the ruler of our hearts, King Jesus, King Jesus. I want to share with you um, another example of how this plays out. I like to cook. So, you know, sometimes I'll decide I'm going to surprise the family and I'll find a recipe or something like that. That's one of our our favorite pastimes is we look up different recipes and stuff that we can make together. And um, so, I'll find something and I'm like, man, I want to make this for the family. So, let's say that I've had a, a long day at work and I'm headed home, and I've I've planned uh, this this fabulous meal, and so I stop by because you know if you're really going to do something special, they don't have all those ingredients at Walmart, right? So you got to go to like a little specialty spot over here, a little place over there, so you can get stuff that that it, that they don't regularly sell at every grocery store. So I'm going, you know, east, north, south, west, to get all these ingredients. I get everything that I need. I'm coming home, and I can. I can imagine in my mind's eye that when I come in the door, I'm going to go to the kitchen, I'm going to pull out, you know, I got all the, 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 the equipment that I need in my mind, and, and I can imagine plating the meal and, 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 and putting it out for my kids, and I can imagine my kids saying, oh, daddy, this is so good. This is like, oh, and my wife saying, oh, honey, thank you. Thank you so very much for cooking this wonderful meal. Oh, I am so, this is so scrumptious. I'm playing this on and, over, on and on and over and over in my mind, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be a wonderful night. And I get home. I pull in, open the door. My kids are uh, uh, climbing off the ceilings and uh, you know, some crazy spiritual type stuff going on. <laughs> and uh, there's the, the house is a mess. The dishes are all, all the pots that I planned on using, they're all loaded up in the sink And uh, I'm like, honey, uh, I was going to make a meal. Oh, I gave them some ramen noodles already and uh, we're just waiting on you to come home so we can have worship. (laughs) At that moment, I become extremely angry. I'm angry, but here's the question, why am I angry? Now, if I don't have these new glasses on, Mm. and if I'm not interpreting things now under the aid of the Holy Spirit, I'm angry because the house is not clean. I'm angry because I'm a minister and my kids are crawling on the walls. We need some (laughs) exorcism or something. I'm angry because of that. I'm angry because my wife fed the kids ramen noodles. That's not a healthy meal. (laughs) right you see how I'm, I'm I can choose any of these things to be angry because of am I wrong to want to have a clean house
3: no
0: am I wrong to want my children to eat healthy No. Nope. none of those things are wrong but the real problem the real problem is that Stephen can't have Steven's way tonight my desires for a night that would be filled with the fine cuisine that would come forth from Chef Stephen's hands, where my family would all sit around the table and we would all talk about how great this recipe was, my desire for that was not met. Now, let me, let me, let me share with you what else is at play here. While that desire is not met and I'm getting angry, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to me and says, what are you angry about? Hmm. And if you talk to God like I do, I, you, know, I, you know, press pause on life, this is happening, and I'm like, what do you mean what am I angry about? <laughs> I mean you see this mess, you see the kids, you see blah blah blah, and God says, but that's not really what you're angry at. And I'm like, you know, you try to outfox God, but you can't really do that. <laughs> and uh, God says, you're angry because you can't have your way right now. Mm -hmm. Your desire to have that type of night was squashed. This was not a night for Chef Mm Stephen, but this is a night for Servant Stephen. Did you ask your wife why the house is a mess? Did you ask your wife why the kids are responding like they are? Why the dishes? I feel. I have ordained on this night for you to wash dishes. Uh, yes,
1: Lord. I have
0: ordained on this night for you to tell your wife to go to bed early.
1: Yes. You
0: will put the kids to bed and you will clean the home. Now maybe I'm going out on a limb here, <laughs> but put yourself in my shoes. Which night sounds better <laughs> to you? Hmm? Chef C. Right, Chef Steve. <laughs> I'm with you, my brother. But God is calling me to be servant, Steve. So it is the kingdom of Stephen that's being challenged right now. Self is being challenged in a very real way. And the question is, am I going to surrender self or am I going to blame her? Am I going to ignore God and turn off his voice and blame her for the way I feel or am I going to take responsibility and do what God asked me to do. You see where we're going with this? Every one of us has these, and and this goes back to what I said earlier, 99.9% of the problem is self. It's me, right? Now, there are legitimate things that are not bad in and of themselves that we can choose in order to blame on the person we're in relationship with. But if we're listening to the voice of God, if he has changed the way we see things, and if our interpretation of reality has been changed, then God will help us to see that it is not the other person who needs to change, but it is us. Can you imagine how how quickly disagreements and arguments in your life could be dissolved if the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, this was your desire? but this is my desire for you. And you and I were to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do.
1: It, um, the it, I think in my own life too, I've seen that that plays out a lot between the parent-child relationship, because to be honest with you, in my mind, I grew up thinking that once you become a parent, you are a king, right? This is your house. This is your, your you know, your stuff. Your, I can't your, your. tell you how
0: many years i am waiting to say <laughs> that. This is
1: my house. <laughs>
0: And God is like, whose
1: house is it? Right, I'm like,
0: your right. house, God. Right,
1: <laughs> and um, and you have to be so careful not to become that way—a dictatorship with your children. Um, the same way that he says, you know, he could have asked the question like, "How was your day?" It's important to have that same relationship with your children. Because I make that mistake often of just demanding for them to do something, demanding and expecting some things from them, but also understanding that they have a life, right? And they go through things each and every day. Sit down and talk to your children, have conversations with them. Sometimes, you know, they, we we like to say that it's, um, you know, they're just going, they're just going through that teenage thing, which I don't doubt, because the hormones of teenagers are really crazy. But, It is also that children are living in the same sinful world that we are, right? Whether they're going to school with people or they're interacting with their friends or doing different things, and so it's important to not just dictate to them and just say, man, you know what the problem is? You're not cleaning your room. The problem is you're not doing what I'm... And sit down and have a conversation. And sometimes, it would be, I've had to do that. My husband will tell you, I've had to kind of step back and say, man, you know what, I'm going to help him. I'm going to clean his room for him. Not because I'm trying to remove the responsibility, but be sympathetic to the fact that they have things that they're going through too, just as we are. And we don't want to have a dictatorship. We want to have a family, right?
0: Yeah, well, um, it's crazy. My wife and I were talking about this, and one of my son's friends is in here and he just started driving, and so my son came and he said, you know, can I go, can I go with my buddy? You know, and my first inclination was like, what? we're shutting all that down right now. No, it's not even happening, and so, but that conversation was going on and I went to my wife and I said, Tamara, you know, Israel has something that he wants to talk to you about, so he asked her, now you all you all are laughing at me. You're laughing at me, right? So so she heard what the request was and she was like, What? Why, why are, are you, you come ask me? me? Go you know? ask your father. And so, you know, we had our, you know, we had our situation or war room conversation. <laughs> and I said, listen, I said, my inclination is just to say no. All the time. I don't really have a, a good reason why. At all. Um and I know. I know that I can trust my son and even his friend to a certain extent. I can trust them both. I don't really have a good reason to say no. If I say no for no good reason, then I will be creating a son who ultimately resents me because he's going to ask me, well, dad, why can't I go? And if I go to the tried and true, because I said so. If I do that, (laughs) that's going to create a son who resents me and and says, my father is unfair. And so when I get the magical age, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I, you see what I'm saying? But it was the Lord who spoke to me and said, you want to say no, but why do you want to say no? Mm -hmm. What are you going to say to him? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, I don't need to say anything to him. I'm his father. I can just say no. Because it feels good to say no. But that's going to have consequences. That's going to have consequences. Again, this is the kingdom of who? The kingdom of Stephen. This is me wanting to be king. And God says, is that the type of ruler you would be? Stephen, that's why I need to be in control in your life and not you. Hmm. Now, this authenticity that we have with God and with ourselves, where we see ourselves and our condition for what it really is, it bridges the gap to something else. It bridges the gap to authenticity with others. I want my wife to, to read something that um, a young woman that we know. Um,
1: um, what it was, it was a few years ago, I in the pictures, I snapshot it. Um, a couple of years ago, we traveled over to the UK and we did something similar like this, talking about communication and so forth and so on. And um, while we were there, um, we met a lot of people, you know, um, but this young lady sent me something about, about four weeks ago, and this is what she said. She said, "I believe knowledge is extremely important. Of course, Hosea 46 talks about people perishing because of the lack of knowledge. I've been taught the doctrines of my beliefs, and I know what I believe and why, but there was a lack of vulnerability and honesty in my church experience growing up. How do we conquer these issues? There is a lot of young adults, especially where I grew up, dealing with the effects of this now. I know it's not purely the church's fault, but for a lot of us, especially myself, church was my life. My personal opinion is that a lot could, could have been avoided by people being more honest and open in church, not just about not having sex, don't do that, but saying, listen, I had sex and I got pregnant, out of wedlock 30 years ago, and this is what I dealt with. You don't want to experience that, so forth and so on. Don't go there. But if you happen to go down that road, I will be here for you. What are your thoughts? Can we have a real convo in our churches today, not just what sounds philosophical? I'm genuinely curious to hear, and I really need help with this.
0: Uh, very, um, very sobering, heartfelt plea Mm -hmm. in terms of authenticity, just wanting someone Mm -hmm. to be real. Mm -hmm. But it's it's our belief that we cannot be authentic with others if we're not first Mm. authentic with ourselves and with God. God. Um, And there are people, the Bible says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the the word of their testimony. Mm -hmm. But why is it that when most people give their testimony, they talk about something that happened like 50 years ago? Yeah, you know, when I came to the Lord, back then a candy bar was only five cents. (laughs) It was hard times, but when I came to the Lord, I, you know, everything in terms of challenge, struggle, it seems like it's past past tense. You know, I had a um, young man, my wife and I used to work with campus ministries for several years, and um, there was a young man who became a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was baptized, but he was sharing the experience of when he first came to the group. Now, there's a group of young folks, you know, on a public university campus, but Seventh-day Adventist culture, and he says he comes in, and they're, they're doing prayer requests, and somebody's like, you know, I just need you all to pray for me. I'm struggling with these peanuts and I just can't stop eating peanuts. And I want the Lord to give me victory. Now listen, this that person this person's struggle with peanuts yeah. might be legit, yeah. right? But he he's listening to everyone ask for prayer and their prayers are about external things.
1: Chips, I'm a chips right? one.
0: And yes. this guy he's like, "Man, at this time I was struggling with pornography. I was struggling with immorality and as I sat and I listened and this is what was powerful and profound to me he said as I listened to what people were requesting prayer for I thought to myself Mm. these people are too good for me
1: I don't belong here I
0: don't belong here because nobody is asking for requests for the type of stuff that I'm dealing with right and you know, I'm not even going to tell you to, to, to raise your hands, but you know you've been in a group where you're struggling with something and people are giving prayer requests and you, you want to ask for prayer and you want to have people praying for you, but then you listen to the nature of the request that people are making and you're like, hmm, hmm. Now listen, we're not saying that you right. need to wear everything on your shirt sleeve. We're, we're not saying that you need to march around and tell everybody <laughs> what all of your problems are. Right. But the Bible does say they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So somebody ought to be sharing testimony that inspires someone else to victory. Mm -hmm. And if I'm struggling with pornography and you're struggling with peanuts, your testimony of how the Lord helped you to stop eating Snickers bars...
1: Which is is perfectly... That's
0: you know? But that's not going to relate to me yeah. i'm like man that's all you're dealing with mm-hmm. eating snacks. man i wish that was all i was dealing with mm-hmm. you see so i want want to read a couple of things to you before we let you go christ uh, or excuse me christ object lessons 338 as followers of christ we should make our words such as to be a help and an encouragement to one another in the christian life far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. I'm going to go on a limb and say y'all didn't get that. We need to speak of the precious chapters, 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 not the precious line 30 years ago, 15 years ago, not the section or even the chapter, singular, but the chapters, plural, right? So every time I stand up to give a testimony, it shouldn't be about the same thing, right? Because God should be doing something fresh in my life. Is that true, yes or no? Amen. Listen to this. Ye shall be my witnesses. Uh, You shall be witnesses, excuse me, unto me. These words of Jesus have lost none of their force. Our Savior calls for faithful witnesses in these days of religious formalism, but how few even among the professed ambassadors for Christ are ready to give a faithful personal testimony for their master. Many can tell what the great and good men of generations past have done and dared and suffered and enjoyed. They become eloquent in setting forth the power of the gospel which has enabled others to rejoice in trying conflicts and to stand firm against fierce temptations. But while so earnest in bringing forward other Christians as witnesses for Jesus, they seem to have no fresh, timely experience of their own to relate. Ministers of Christ, what have you to say for yourselves? What, listen to this, what soul conflicts have you experienced that have been for your good? for the good of others, and for the glory of God. You who profess to be proclaiming the last solemn message of mercy to the world, what is your experience in the knowledge of the truth? And what has been its effect upon your own hearts? Does your character testify for Christ? Can you speak of the refining, ennobling, sanctifying influence of the truth as it is in Jesus? What have you seen? what have you known of the power of christ this is the kind of witness for which the lord calls and for which the churches are suffering without a living faith in christ as a personal savior it is impossible to make your faith felt in a skeptical world if you would draw sinners out of the swift running current your own feet must not stand on slippery places. Gospel workers, pages 273 and 274. Wow. A fresh experience. I'm going to tell you, we, we don't have this in our churches. We don't. We don't have, um, as a rule, we don't have authenticity. We don't have people that, um, that can share Things would not, and listen, here, again, we're not saying you need to go around and tell everybody everything, but there should be someone of faith, spirit-filled, who God can lead you to, who can either mentor you or encourage you, or you can share with them some of the, your struggles, and you, you guys can pray together. Um, and, and one time I was questioned on this, and my mind went directly to Jesus. Even Jesus... Even Jesus needed people to pray with him. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say to his disciples? He said, hey guys, I'm going through some real difficult stuff right now and I just need your prayers. Is that what he said? No. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Jesus was, he was opening up He was being authentic. He was being real. Hey, listen, guys, what I'm dealing with, even though they were some knuckleheads, what I'm dealing with is literally getting ready to kill me. I need you to watch and to pray with me. If Jesus, at the greatest hour of temptation in his life, could be authentic, how much more should we? And notice what she said there. She said, our churches are suffering for want of that. I've been around churches and church folks long enough to know that there's a lot of people in churches who are going through a lot of stuff, and though they look real good and they smell real nice on Sabbath morning, you have no idea what's going on in their lives. And everybody just comes and, hey, happy Sabbath. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming. And you go home to family members who are alcoholics. You go home to family members who are strung out on drugs and you're embarrassed to say anything. You go home and there's a dysfunctional family that you have to live in, or you're the only Christian who's in your household, but you don't think that anyone would ever be able to relate to you. Look, this type of stuff is going on, and as we just read, the churches are suffering because no one is standing up and saying, hey, I need prayer, I'm the only Christian. I was at a funeral just last week. We got to the grave site earlier, And a guy, I was standing there with my Bible, just standing there waiting at the mausoleum. And a guy came up to me, big guy, and he just wrapped his arms around me and hugged me. And I'm like, okay. He's like, man, brother, I'm so glad to see you. I said, I'm glad to see you too. (laughs) I didn't quite know who he was. But he said, listen, he said, this was my brother. He went to a Christless grave. He said, I'm the only Christian in my family, and for years, I tried to witness and influence him. He was like, now I have to try to work on his kids. This, this guy doesn't even know me, but he saw a Bible, and, it, and immediately there was a kinship. What was he experiencing? It begins with a L. No, not love, well, yeah, he did love when he hugged me, but before that, he was experiencing loneliness. Are there people who experience loneliness in the church? Can mm-hmm.
1: you imagine that? Mm-hmm. The, I, mean, I was talking to my husband about that a few weeks ago, that when people, when people come to Christ and people paint a picture and they say, man, you know, you're coming to the family of God, right? And hey. any of, all of us come from a family. You know, I have brothers and we've grown up. We have memories together, right? Mischief, but also good things, you know. And you leave that family group and then you come into the family of God and people don't talk. People aren't transparent. People are authentic. It's like this wall is up. And this is as far as we go. We go to the church building, and once we go there, that's it.
0: And, and the crazy thing is you can actually you can see these things, but people don't say it. You know, a brother's coming to church, and all of a sudden his wife is not with him for like six months. Right. And everybody's like, what's going on there? But nobody says anything. Or well, they may never, say something, but they'll never say something asked, behind their back. He never asked, hey, can you all pray for me? You all notice my wife is not here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going into details, but our marriage needs help, yeah. you know? So authenticity with ourselves and with God leads us to authenticity with others. The work that God is doing in us should give us fresh experiences. So I can testify, hey... The Lord has helped me to better relate to my wife. Hey, the Lord has helped me to better relate to my children. Hey, the Lord has helped me to overcome my anger problem. Hey, the Lord has helped me to overcome, you know, my rejection issues. Hey, the Lord has given me victory in this or that area. And as we, um, as we, as we become authentic with ourselves and with God, guess what? We care less about how we are perceived by others. Mm-hmm because I know who I am and my father knows who I am. You may not fully get me, but that's all right. My testimony may not reach everybody, but if there's one person who can listen to what God has done in my life and they can grab on to the power that God has has, has allowed me to experience and they can experience that power, that's enough. And it's a fulfillment of that promise. In Re- I believe that's a promise. In Revelation 14, they overcame him mm-hmm. by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. But remember, friends, it begins first with authenticity here. Mm-hmm. Understand, the devil is not your greatest enemy. Mm-hmm. Your family, not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy and your greatest struggle is? So. Yeah. Yeah. So let's bow our heads together. Let's ask the Lord to help us to reach this destination of authenticity and transparency. Loving Father and our God, we are thankful. Thankful for the example of Jesus. And I think in many ways we don't clearly or fully understand that example. The fact that Jesus' greatest temptations dealt with things that were not in and of themselves sinful ought to send a strong and clear message to us living in the last days that our greatest temptations will be dealing with things that are not in and of themselves sinful, even like our Savior. And perhaps our greatest need, or at least one of them, is to have a church family, that can watch and pray with us when our souls are feeling the press of trials and temptations and sin to hear a testimony from the lips of overcomers lord today we ask that you would give us transparency and authenticity as it regards our relationship with you Help us to see ourselves as we really are. But don't leave us there. As we read earlier, we don't want to be overwhelmed and overcome by our fears and the difficulties of life. We ultimately want to refocus on Jesus. Every time I see and understand more fully the depths of sin in my life and in my heart, I want to turn back to Jesus and take hold of him even more firmly. And then Lord, may that experience help us to have a fresh word on our lips to share with those who are struggling, so that men and women, boys and girls can know that they don't have to be afraid to be prayed with and to be helped through their challenges. Lord, make each one of us agents of change. Help our interpretive powers to be sanctified so that we can newly interpret the experiences in our lives and we can see things as you do and ultimately see one another as you do. Thank you for the journey and thank you for being our captain as well as our companion on this journey. In Jesus' name.